In Matthew 5, we're going to pick up where we left off in this example of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through verse 42, he introduces his revolutionary concepts by quoting the Old Testament law that says, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, which was pretty straightforward. It was pretty revolutionary for his day. And yet Jesus continues to revolutionize this legal system um, even further about um, getting restitution for harm done. So... We, we dealt with verses 39 to 40 a couple hours ago to not resist the evil person when he comes out against you. If he comes to offend you, turn the other cheek because you really don't care. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, give him your cloak too because you really don't hold yourself to what you have. You are not captivated by your life. Your life is captive to Jesus Christ. This is why we can be free to lose our image. We can feel free to lose our possessions. Because what can man do to you that's not under the control of God? My life is held captive by Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ wants me to lose my tunic, whatever. Take my cloak also. If my name is to be tarnished, hey, as long as it's not because I really did something worthy of being tarnishing, man will do what man will do. And I can't control my neighbor. I can't control what they think about me. You know, people, have, people are covetous. People are bitter. People are angry. There will be people who come against us. You know what? Let it be. That's just the way the world is. Me, I'm going to lay hold on eternal life. I'm not going to concern myself with maintaining at all costs this life that I am living. And we continue this train of thought. Uh, going back to an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Fight, fighting for yourself. You are hurt. You have the legal right under God's law to go and get compensation and have, and have a wrong righted. You have the right for that. And now Jesus addresses that saying, stop being so obsessed about your rights over your life. Stop being so obsessed about what you think you deserve in this life. You don't deserve a name. You don't deserve possessions. This is not what life is about. Having a name for yourself. Having a life for yourself. Having possessions. Having comforts. Having an established lifestyle. That's not what life is about. Life is about Jesus Christ. Life is about laying hold on eternity and everything in your life revolving around what's coming up ahead. Rather than Esau, who revolved his whole life around what he has right now. Um... So now we're moving on to verse 41. And we kind of see a different category. Sorry, verse 42. We see a different category here. Um, Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So So this is very straightforward. And this single verse has become controversial on a very broad scale. Well... So-and-so is, doesn't deserve it. So-and-so has been mean. So-and-so is my enemy. So-and-so is irresponsible. Do I really have to give? Do I have to give to every person on the street corner with a bucket out asking for money? Is that what Jesus is talking about? And you know what? I started writing all these exceptions to you know, how in the world, why is it that Jesus doesn't necessarily mean those things? And I was convicted. 
as I was writing these things. Because when I was reading through you know, commentary, they, were, they didn't even focus on what Jesus was saying. They were focusing on what Jesus wasn't saying. They were focusing on, well, what, who did Jesus not include in this passage? They didn't even focus on what did Jesus say. And I was convicted because I was going along with it. And the Spirit smit me. Smote. He afflicted me in my spirit, <laughs> saying, don't do that. What did Jesus say? What direction did Jesus give you? Stop focusing on the direction he didn't give you. And I think that that's where we need to start. We could talk all day about direct, you know, wisdom, you know, all these different things. And there's wisdom in some of that. And the Bible actually implies some of that. But today I want to focus first and foremost on the foundation here. What did Jesus say? Give to him who asks you. Simple. Somebody comes to you saying, I need something. And I know that you can help me. What did Jesus say that we should do to that person? Give. Give. Okay. All right, here you go. Glad I could help. And then he says, somebody wants to borrow. I promise I'll pay you back. Can I borrow some money? Can I borrow your lawnmower? Can I borrow whatever? What does he say? How are we supposed to respond to somebody coming to us saying, can I borrow something? Turn them out away. away. Sorry, I don't trust you. Go, Go ask somebody else. Sorry, I'm using that right now. Go away. He says, lend it to him. Don't turn him away. Don't leave him. Don't let him walk away from your house empty-handed. <clears throat> and in this, you know, I suppose we could sum up this morning's message as we need to be defensively bewildering. And far as somebody coming against us, we need to respond in such a way that doesn't make sense to the average person. And I started in the introduction saying, if you act in such a way that completely makes sense to your neighbor in regards to how people treat you, you're not doing it right. (laughs) You're not doing it in a Christ-like manner because he's teaching us to be bewildering. He's teaching us to be strange. And if we're not strange, then we are not set apart. We like to talk about being set apart as, I don't drink, I don't get my tattoos, I don't smoke, I don't... But Jesus is teaching, if you're really sanctified, you're going to act differently when people come against you. You're not going to stand up for yourself like, you're, like the world does. You're not going to fight to keep. No, your focus is different. Because you don't care about that stuff. And the way you respond to people should be bewildering to them, to evil people. Yes. So, um, people come to sue. Mm-hmm. You've been sued. Yeah. So you don't defend yourself. There are in in our current legal system, and I and I pondered this a lot because I, like you said, I was sued, and I was wondering. I had to go to the Lord and say, "Did I do it right?" And that was a matter of prayer for me this week as I was developing this message. Like, do I just stay home and not even show up to the hearing? And I think that, you know, because the way, the way it happened for me, it was a real estate 
lawsuit in particular. It didn't go to like a high court or anything like that. There's a real estate, there's a process in real estate that's different. But there's a way that I could have done it. I could have hired a lawyer. I could have had my managing broker come and uh, fight for me. I could have, you know, I put together information, pertinent information that was true as far as I was concerned. And my, when I did it, my perception was, I tried to do it prayerfully. I wasn't really in tune with this passage per se, because I don't know everything all the time. Um, I put together a case, and when I was there before, the people, there, was a, there were three people that were, that were trying the case. And I presented the information as it was, and I sat down. I mean, my, the last statement that I remember giving was, I trust the courts will make the right decision. And then I sat down and rested my case. And the other person that was suing me was relatively unstable, um, coming out against everything that I was saying, saying it was false, saying it was untrue, fighting, grappling to get from me. Me? I presented the information and sat down. I didn't fight. I didn't grapple. I didn't scrape and claw to get the trying officers to agree with me, to force them to understand things from my perspective. I didn't um, puff up or alter the information to make it sound more attractive. It was simply the facts and nothing more. And I think the, uh, and perhaps I did it the wrong way. But at least I, from what I see here is, how do you come at it? Do you come at it as I'm trying to save my life? I'm trying to save and keep everything that I can possibly keep and save. Because I am so um, devoted to what I have that I can't lose a dime of it. Um, I don't think that I approached it that way. It wasn't about saving my life. I had to address the situation because I was called to the stand. And that's my point. Yeah. Not those particulars of yours. Yeah. But many people in this room mm-hmm. do have a legal sense. To me, yeah. you've got some justice going on. Mm-hmm. How justice was being established back in Leviticus and Deuteronomy yeah. and Exodus. There was a legal right. uh, justice or some justice being mm-hmm. set forth. Right. And so uh, if you my question is, literally, you know, if someone sues you, mm-hmm. they can sue you for false. Yeah. But, uh, and Kurt and Kathy just got done right. with the lawsuit. Right. But <clears throat> it seems to me that you have to defend yourself. And you ha- in, the, in the legal procession, you show up, you present your case. And I think that at least, at the very minimum... Um, how we apply this is, how do you approach it? Do you approach this as, I'm losing my life. What am I going to do? You know, these people are wrongly accusing me. It's over for me. You know, I am beside myself. Or do we approach it as, okay, here's the case. I mean, if I'm wrongly, if I'm rightly accused, well, then it's the just penalty of my actions. But if I'm wrongly accused, and that's really more of what is being addressed here, if you're being wrongly accused for something, people are going to do what they're going to do, 
I don't think that it's necessarily a sin according to this passage, because I think that the passage, what Jesus is getting at is, what is your value system? Do you value stuff and a lifestyle, and you want, at all costs, you're going to save today. You're going to live for today. You are going to provide for yourself. You are going to get for yourself. You are going to keep in everything that you think is rightfully yours. Or is it the Lord's? You know, the Lord gives. If the Lord wants to take away through the hands of evil men, so be it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, And the level of our frustration and anxiety can tell us where exactly we're at in those situations. Um, Internally, because we can speak the right words, right, can't we? Um, But inside, the level of anxiety, the level of frustration, the hatred, the bitterness that can come up in these situations... That really tells you where your heart's at, regardless of the words that come out of your mouth. You know, So it's a good question, and I thought that somebody might ask the question, because I do know that that has happened amongst even this small group, where people have been recently or in the past, you know, as yourself, involved in minor and major court cases. Um, and what are you supposed to do? You just stay home, sit, sit at home? In a sense, that would also be irresponsible because you have a duty to actually show up <laughs> and say something. And in those cases, it should be enough to simply, here's the case, judges, do what you will. <laughs> if you come to the wrong verdict, well, that's your job to, to deal with. And in fact, there are condemnations in the Old Testament for a justice system that is corrupt. Um, but that's neither here nor there per se. Uh, does that answer your question at all, or address it? Well, what I think you said is you can defend yourself. Yeah. You don't just... Uh, mm-hmm. It is how you view and how you process mm-hmm. right. everything done. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and probably not holding... Uh, you know, if your name has been uh, smeared or whatnot, trying not to hold it up. Yeah. Right. Um, but you do go to, to street corners and there's people asking for money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's the homeless in the cities. And so mm-hmm. We have been, you know, people, probably everybody in here sent somebody out mm-hmm. different times. It's not just that situation, but they need something. Mm-hmm. But we only, <clears throat> we cannot. Right. You're right. Right. Did you have something to say? No, I got another one. Because I was, I think I've been thinking along the same lines as God. But you know, it does tell us to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove in First Samuel. And uh, and not that I get all these right or you know, Carrie and I have discussed this many times about giving them to somebody mm-hmm. it looks like they need it, but like Doug said, we can't give it to everybody. And the money I give, I'd rather give it to like Samaritan's Purse, where I know, because we don't know what the purse is going to do. Not that we shouldn't. And I'm mm-hmm. not saying I still don't struggle with this, whether I should or shouldn't. But we still have to be wise about what we're doing. And sometimes, you know, it does say P.S. or an exception. It looks pretty straightforward and literal. 
But mm -hmm. at the same time, I think we still need to be real wise. I mean, if a person came up and said, I need to borrow your car, but that's the only car I have to get to work paying my bills for my family, I may give him some advice of how to help him, but I don't necessarily think I just hand him over my car. Does that make sense? And there's a, and I was going to read this verse, too, that said, well, I wasn't going to, but since it's brought up, I will read this verse. Um, it says... I just lost it. Let's see here. Where, where, where was it? Oh, now Peter, this is Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame, from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms for those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. So we, in this situation, he is asking that he, he fixes his eyes on them and says, Peter and John, can I have? Now, that's when they looked upon him and stated what they're about to say. Say, silver and gold I don't have. I don't have the means to provide for what you need. But what I do have, I give to you. And then they healed him. Gave him actually gave him something better than what he asked for. Um, but in a sense, that's a little bit of like what you're talking about. Like Sometimes we don't have the means to provide for somebody. Just because they ask, you know, somebody comes up to me and asks me for a million bucks. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Lord. <laughs> I can't give him what he asked for. <laughs> um, no, that's not necessarily what's saying. Like, if you have the means and the opportunity, you know, and then I see also in this passage, if they ask you. Like, if there's just somebody on the street corner, they're not asking you. They're just hoping somebody will toss some money into their bucket. They're not actually asking you. Um, I don't see that as the same as... Uh, what Jesus is commanding here. What the, the picture Jesus is really giving is somebody comes up and says, Kirk, I need some $5 money to... For gas. I need $5 for gas. And Can you help me? Pumps, yeah, right. Or, some, or something else. Like, can I really, can I borrow your lawn mower? I really need to mow my lawn. You know, or whatever it is. And you have the means and the opportunity to actually do it. Because he even says, if anybody has the world's goods and turns away his brother, how can the love of God abide in that person? First of all, you have to have it to be able to provide it. <laughs> if you don't have it, then you can't provide it. And second, in this, in this command from Jesus, he says, if anybody asks you, they come up to you and they ask. It's not, I mean, everybody in the world has a need, but thankfully they're not all asking us <laughs> at the, all at the same time, you know. Um, there's need, you know, I could give to any, does that mean all the missionaries that we have ever known have needs? Does that mean we have to all give them money because they need money? No. If they come and ask, well, it's a different story. Hey, can you help us? Okay, can we help you? Okay, I think that it's biblical for us to help them. Um, the first, the, and this is where we really wanted to, to sit on for this message is, where we come from this is first, we must hear what Jesus is saying and humbly relinquish our rights to our own property. Because it's not really ours, we're just stewards of God's things. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We have to relinquish ownership of everything that we have. And if the Lord is telling us through sending us somebody to ask of us, then we must obey Jesus here. Because we've relinquished our rights over everything that we own. Because it's not really ours, we're stewards, not owners. Um, so we really need to take this seriously. I think that this subject is far deeper than sometimes we allow it to be in our lives. We don't give simply because we 
feel like it might put us in a hard place in the future if we help this person out. So we're not going to give. That is not relinquishing our rights over our life and offering and letting it sit in the hands of God. You know, he says, give to him who asks you. And isn't this how God operates? Jesus says, what, you have not because you ask not. So God has the rights over all the universe. He has provision to give to you. So why is it that he doesn't just give it to you? Because you're not asking. That's how God operates. He gives to those who will humble themselves and ask. And he expects us to operate the same way, to give to those who ask. We don't necessarily give to all these people, all these different needs, all the world over, who aren't necessarily asking. But those who are asking, we should humbly help. And then he also goes on to say, or you ask amiss, to spend it on your own lusts. Now, we can't determine the heart of everybody who's asking us for help. If we know that they're just going to spend it on their horrible lifestyle, well, then maybe we should give them the advice. Like, I would love to help you out. I really would. And if, and if I didn't know that you were a drug addict, then I would probably give this to you. But I know that it's going to do you harm if I give it to you. And I think that's a key note when giving. If you know that giving to somebody is going to actually harm them, then you're not giving. You're not being generous. You're being foolish. You're sharing in their foolishness. And that is, and I didn't want to get into all this at first, but it's good to talk about because it is an important discussion because we do. Who am I supposed to give to? Who am I not supposed to give to? But you know, if you, if you know that what you're doing for somebody is actually harming them, then you shouldn't do that. Because we don't want to harm. We want to help, to truly help. Okay? Just like God. He doesn't give it to us just because we ask from our own lusts and the covetousness of our own hearts. Because sometimes that's why we don't receive what we ask for. Because we know that we'll, we'll take it, we'll, we'll spend it, we'll consume it, and then we'll go back to business as normal without giving any glory to God, without serving Him, without following Him, without being humbled in our faith and strengthened in faith. We'll just spend it, consume it, and go about like normal. The same carnal person we were before. And sometimes that's why God just doesn't give to us when we ask. But I think the first step is God doesn't give to us because we're not even asking. We don't think God cares. But we need to take this example of God and how He gives to us and apply that to how we give to other people. If somebody's asking you, those people take first priority in who we share our benefits with, whether it's money or some sort of possession or, or wisdom. If somebody comes and asks you for help, can you disciple me? I want to hold a Bible. I want to have a I want to learn the scriptures more. Can you help me? Maybe that's God sending you that person so that you can help them. So that you can show that disciple that person. Because the the Great Commission is not just evangelism. Go into the world and make disciples to disciple make. To help people, one, understand the gospel and grow up in it. Sometimes the way God wants us to give is he'll send us somebody that we're supposed to disciple. Not all giving is money related. That's not the only need people have. That's, for a lot of people, that's the only need they want to be provided for. But that's not the only need people have. So we can't think about it only in terms of money. 
But coming back here, Jesus says, if somebody asks, asks of you, <clears throat> give to him who asks of you. From him who wants to borrow, don't turn them away. And the first thing we need to approach is with, we relinquish our rights to everything that we own. Because if you hold firmly to what you have, then it's going to be extremely hard for you to let go of it. And then we start making excuses for why we shouldn't give to these people. It's not because it's actually wise not to give to them. It's because we're holding fast to what we possess. And we don't want to part with it. So we need to first address the covetousness in our own hearts. And I'm saying we, because I struggle with it too. I'm just going to be honest with you. This is, I mean, when, God, when there are people with needs that we can provide for and we should provide for, that's a test for you. That's giving you the opportunity to practice generosity, which is the antidote to covetousness. If we are never, never or rarely generous, then it's probably because we are always or usually covetous. Does that make sense? Because God wants his people to be giving people. That should be a defining quality for God's people, for giving people. And I want to show you this in the Old Testament. There's, I need to skip over some stuff. Um, let's see here. Let's, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy 15. In, uh, not, verse 7. We're actually going to look at a couple different passages here. We don't have time to delve into much of it, but I think it'll speak for itself, really, if we let it. Deuteronomy 15, 7. If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor shut your hand from your poor brother. But you shall open your hand wide to him, and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs." I mean, this is Old Testament law, okay? This is not New Testament. This is from the beginning of the law. Beware, verse 9, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying, the seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and your eye will be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. So that the idea of that seventh year is, as he explains earlier in the verse, the seventh year is you release your servants. You set them free on every seventh year. So he's saying, well, the seventh year is about to come. I'm about to lose all my servants. I'm going to have to kind of scramble again to get more servants, to get more stuff for myself. So I'm not going to give to you, poor brother, because up ahead, I'm going to have a problem. He's saying, don't do that. Just because you might have a problem in the future doesn't mean you shouldn't give to a brother in need now. In verse 10, you shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him. I mean, that sounds New testimony too. <laughs> not by compulsion, but from a thankful and loving, generous heart. It should not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works, and in all which you have put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Jesus quotes that. The poor he will have with you always. But me, he will not always have with you, he said. The poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to the poor and the needy in your hand. <clears throat> if your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. 
Okay, so this is a, somebody who's sold to you in, slave, in slavery, in service. And when you will release them, it's not just like opening the door and booting them out. You shall not let them go away empty-handed. Now, when was Israel sent away from some place and lavished upon as they went? The Exodus. The Exodus. That was not too many, too much time before this was written. <clears throat> and he actually says it. You shall supply him liberally from your flock and your threshing floor and from your wine press, from what the Lord your God has blessed you with, and shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. So the basis for all this generosity is what? The generosity of God. That's the basis for how, why in the world we are supposed to be so generous. And in verse 16, and if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you and your house since he prospers with you, then I guess he didn't mean to go this far. But anyway, um, the point of this is generosity even to people that are not a benefit to you anymore. The slave was a benefit because they could work, but in the year that the slave was supposed to be cast away, you don't cast him away empty-handed. You give him everything he's going to need until he gets to his next venture. You send him away in luxury, just like the Lord redeemed you from the land of Egypt in luxury. Of course, they, they spent it all on building a golden calf, but <laughs> uh, that was their problem. And then, if we want to look back a little bit, Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 4 and 5, this gives us a little predicament here. When you accept when when they're let's see, let's start in verse three of a foreigner you may require it. Uh, well, let's just start in verse one. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts, and this is the form of release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbor or his brother, because it is called the Lord's release. Of a foreigner, you may require it, but you shall not give up your claim to what is owed by your brother, except when there may be no more poor among you. For the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance. I don't like how that's translated in verse 4 because the language actually says, because there will be no poor among you. The Lord's will for his people was that nobody among them would be poor. Of course, there is a... Um, there is a little addendum there in verse 5. It says, only if you carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe with care all these commandments which I command for you. So the will of the Lord for his people was that none of them would have a need, have, would be poor. If only they would follow God. But then he goes on just in a couple of verses to say, the poor you're going to have with you always. So God is already kind of giving them an understanding that you're not going to walk in my ways. You're always going to have poor, even though it's not the will of the Lord for there to be poor among you. And another way that he uses the generosity of the people to address this is in chapter 14, verse 28. And did you know that the tithe was not just a very straightforward thing, even in the Old Testament? At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, okay, so the Levite wasn't given land, he wasn't given an inheritance of land to work, to provide for himself. They were fully dependent on the tithe to provide for them. 
because he has no portion or inheritance with you. And the stranger, okay, the person who's, who doesn't live there, he's there on business or passing through, they have no means to provide for themselves. And the fatherless, okay, so you have the, the orphan can't provide for himself. And the widow, who can't provide for themselves, within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work that your hand has to do. So in this passage we see the tithe of the people was not just some obscure thing that was always just put into a bank account somewhere and used as people saw fit. Part of the tithe, every third year, the tithe was to be brought into the center of the town and everybody who was down and out was to come and feast. It was to be provision for the people that couldn't provide for themselves. That was the tithe. That was a rule for the tithe. God set it up within his system to see to it that even though there would be widows, orphans, strangers, and the Levites who couldn't provide for themselves, he made a way for the people to be provided for. Because it was not his will that there be poor who didn't get what they needed. And in the other parts of the year, the people were supposed to be giving generously to the poor and to the needy, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, the Levite. The people were to be giving to those who asked. The slaves were to be released and set out in luxury. Even in the Old Testament, it was the will of the Lord for His people to be giving generous people. On the basis of this, God has always been generous with them from the very time He brought them out of Egypt. He lavished upon them, even from the hands of His enemies. And we take this as a foundation for why we must be generous. Because the Lord has dealt very bountifully and mercifully with us. So if we take His generosity, His giving, if we've humbled ourselves before God, the great giver, if we've been poor in spirit and mourned over our state of depravity and received with gladness the abundance of God, then and then only do we understand what it's like to be generous because of what God has done. And I just wanted you to see this really quick. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 27. There's a lot of crossover between the synoptic Gospels. In Luke chapter 6, this is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. It's very short. It is not as extensive as Matthew's sermon on, record of the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, Matthew includes, or Luke includes only one, he includes some Beatitudes. He includes some woes upon those who are opposite of the Beatitudes. He only puts in one reiteration of an Old Testament command, whereas Matthew does six. Uh, Luke only puts in one general command and then summarizes with a charge to follow him. It's very simple. It's very succinct, very small. He doesn't include most of what Matthew includes. But guess what Luke decides is important enough to include in his, in his Sermon on the Mount? This passage that we're looking at today. Retaliation and generosity. In fact, he doesn't just include it, he actually elaborates. He says in verse 20, Matthew chapter 6, verse 27, But I say to you who hear, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer thee also other. 
they're the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, and do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, don't ask for them back. Just as you want men to do to you, also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend to those whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Just as your Father. This is how you are the sons of the Most High. You give to those who don't deserve it. You give even to those people who you don't even expect to get anything back from. You don't charge interest when you take a loan. You don't just do it for your friends. You do it for your enemies. I mean, this is the same passage that Matthew is preaching from. Now, the way these, these sermons of Jesus worked is they were probably much longer than what's recorded in Scripture. Even the, even the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew probably was hours in the preaching of Jesus, where it takes mere 15 to 20 minutes to read through if you're going slowly. <laughs> um, but it was probably, in reality, hours. And Luke is taking a bigger chunk of Jesus' teaching on this subject and including it in his version of the Sermon on the Mount. And he elaborates far more. And, I don't, and we don't have time to keep elaborating on all of this stuff, but you need to see this. Just as you want men to do to you, do to them. If you do, go, do good to the people that are easy for you to do good to, how is that a credit to you? Sinners do that. The ungodly people will lend when it's easy. The ungodly will give to somebody when it's easy. What credit is to you if you follow suit? You need to be radically different from the people around you. That's why you are sanctified, called out, made special, made different. If your way of giving is the exact same as your unsaved neighbor, then you're the one at fault. And in fact, statistics show that generosity among the church is fairly equal to generosity outside the church. It's a shame on the church. Really, it is. Because Jesus has called us out to be special, to be different in this realm of giving. Fighting for the good of other people rather than for the good of yourself is supposed to make it be a radical difference between us and the world around us. Radical difference. Notable difference. Not barely any different. Not somewhat different. Radically different. Why? For He, God, is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Therefore be merciful just as your Father is merciful. This is how you are the sons of God. You will be the sons of the Most High if you do these things. It means that's, this is how you are the most like God and how you give lavishly without reservation. I mean, that's what he's saying when he says God is kind to the unthankful and the evil. He gives the rain to the just and the unjust. So we are kind and generous 
even when it hurts, even when we're not going to get anything out of it. God sends to those who will never offer thanks in worship. He gives goodness to those who will never accept Him. And He has given good to you and me, who have accepted Him, who have received Him, and now we have an opportunity to be just like Him. How? In the way we give. If you're going to fight for justice, if you're going to scrape and claw for somebody's rights, let it be somebody else's rights. Let it be the orphan. Fight for the widow, not yourself. Yeah, do what you need to do, your due diligence, whatever. But if you're going to fight, if you're going to get into the ring, do it on behalf of somebody else, rather than be like the sinners who they'll get in the ring for themselves and they'll kind of dabble in, in regards to somebody else's good. Reverse that. Dabble in regards to your own good. Get into the ring for the sake of the good of somebody else. Go fight for justice and let it be somebody else's justice. Fight for needs. Let it be somebody else's. This is, this is the way of the Christian. This is the way of the believer. And I do think that that's, a lot of that is happening amongst the members here. I hear stories. You know, nobody's, I don't think anybody's a braggart here. And there's a lot of giving going on. And I think that's fantastic. And this is a charge that you're on the right track. But you need to see in your own heart, make it a matter of conversation between you and God. Do I still yet lack? Because Jesus' way is radical. It's not easy. It's radical. And that's how, you be, that's how you show yourself to be a son or daughter of God. By being radically different. Any questions or comments? The Lord will give us ways to practice, times to practice this. Yeah. yeah. You may think you're really with it and you're mm-hmm. doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know sometimes right. And sometimes we pray, Lord, what's your will? And then the next day we get asked by somebody, Hey, can you lend me some money? <laughs> There's your will, Lord. I need some gas to get to work. Yeah, stranger. Yep. You're right. Or the Lord just pricks your heart, like, Hey, so and so. Is there some way that I can help you in some way? Just because the Spirit... Because a, a, a lot of us want to ask. Whether because of pride or just modesty. You don't want to be a burden to somebody. A lot of us have needs that we just don't ask. Sometimes we need to go and do some digging. Because we all have needs. We all have hurts. And the church is here to help. And if you're, too, if you're too modest to ask for help, maybe you can put a note in the offering plate or something. <laughs> you know, make it, a, make it a little less, whatever. But we love to help. And it's uh, honestly, this is how the Lord sanctifies His church. By opportunities to serve each other. It starts here, okay? The love of the brethren is where the we're ground zero. Because if we can't love each other, how are we supposed to love those on the outside? So if we're not loving each other, we're missing some foundational growth opportunities. It's God's will. Any other comments or questions?
like Richard mentioned, using wisdom. And one of the brothers here said, well, somebody asked for groceries. Well, you can be creative and say, well, uh, let's go to the grocery store and buy mm -hmm. some groceries. Right. Yep. Because you give them money so yeah. they can rip you off and go stop right. somewhere else and get some more money. Let's right. Go get groceries. Yeah. And I was approached by a homeless man once where they, where they came up to me and they said, hey, hey, you got some money for some food? Like, well, you know, and I was holding some food in my hands because <laughs> we had just gotten some. And I said, here, you can have this. So I, no, 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 I'd just rather have some money so I can go get some hot food. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm sorry, I don't have any money for you. <laughs> and that was the truth. I didn't have any extra cash or whatever. So, I, so he took the food, and my wife was walking maybe 20 paces behind me uh, with her dad or some, somebody that we were out with. And, she, and the homeless man said, hey, you want this? <laughs> and tried to give the food to my wife. <laughs> and just, okay, but it is a good idea to just, you know, if they, need, if they say they need food, we can make sure that it's the food. And if they, and if they do some pushback, then you know it's probably not legitimate. Wait. If it's the lawnmower, you can say, well, I'll move your lawn. Yeah. Do the work, right? Yeah, that's kind of like going the extra mile, right? I'm not just going to lend it to you. I'm actually going to do it for you. That way you get your lawnmower back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I blow my 32-foot ladder that guy. I'm like, yeah. never got it back. Right. Damage when I got it back. Yeah. Several months later. Right. <laughs> and that happens. And we, and we live life being willing to risk in order for the good of the gospel, for the glory of God. We don't live life just trying to preserve our life and protect ourselves. Sometimes you take risks. Sometimes you get bit too. But that's not bad. It's not a bad thing. It's just the world we live in. Anything else? <laughs>